I love this kind of reframing of the impact of the technology organization from like performance, for example, right? Like we were focused on making everything super fast and that leads to more revenue to really be like, okay, the impact of the technology organization is for the business to be able to do its thing. So we have to be able to iterate quickly and get these changes live quickly so that the business can try more things. And it sounds like there was quite a journey in terms of the technology setup. And maybe let's dive into that to, to close us off here. What does Puma's technology look like today when when I visit puma.com what is that whole stack of technology that you have running and which pieces have worked well and which pieces have you had to switch out over time that didn't quite prove their worth the okay, so I'm I'm thinking of myself as a network request uh, <laughs> so I'm coming in and asking to see puma.com you're going to be first going through cloudflare for dns and then fastly and I think as what you'd be seeing in general for uh, the initial routing and then uh, some fraud and different early checks and then potentially some edge workers doing some things in CDN edge. So that, that's where you already start adding complexity if you're not careful. And so as much as possible, I try to keep keep things centralized and that way it's just easier to make these changes until it you're really confident that you know how it works and that everyone understands and that they can react. But so then as you get more comfortable moving more things into the edge, just make more sense and it's faster. But then so now after you've gotten into the site, you're either going in through an app or you're going through the website and you're going to be in AWS or Google Cloud or Azure and I guess even Heroku, kind of depending on what it is. So that cloud environment is kind of interchangeable in a lot of ways, as it should be, because either the vendor decides to switch who their provider is for infrastructure, or Puma makes it decides to change something. So you'll see infrastructure being automatically deployed, Terraform like trying to to make everything as automatic as possible, but with manual controls. And then um, React or React Native will be running the front end framework and Next.js. So I've got server-side rendering in Next.js. And these are the types of things that I wanted to make choices that were going to make developers want to work with us, and especially the developers that we wanted. So we're looking at Stack Overflow surveys, what do people desire? What are they using? What do they hate? What do they love? And trying to avoid the ones that didn't work out and trying to lean into the ones that aren't the newest, but they definitely have a big community. They're stable. Um, mm -hmm. The risks are well known so that you can make sure you're you're working around them. So I, I don't like things that are brand new. I like I like it personally, but not in business. And uh, so we looked at what would be kind of that ideal stack and mostly forming it around open source so that we can, I wouldn't say to save money on the open source side, it's more like this is the, the most used software on the planet. It's going to cost us a lot to run whatever it is, but what is going to work and what's constantly being evolved. And then it was in the prototyping stage down to, well, which is fastest? So in our limited testing, found that Next.js ran faster than, than the alternatives. So it's okay, let's start there. And then the TypeScript discussion, do we do TypeScript or not? The decision was made that Actually, yeah, static typing would be helpful and is a good idea. We use that in Java and some other services throughout the organization. This seems like a worthwhile move. Not all of our developers had used TypeScript, but heavily Node and JavaScript. So these were things that we weighed and 
evaluated what would allow us to move fast and what allows us to move fastest is the most popular ecosystem and that was also a part of the decision for aws it's the one that most people are comfortable with all of the different infrastructure services have different specialties but i, I wanted to be able to let people feel comfortable because if, if they're comfortable they're going to move faster and they're going to make fewer mistakes that makes sense. And then I love that focus on technology that, because again, if you're thinking through it from the intentional, like how can we iterate faster? How can technology provide value to business angle? Then kind of your reasoning of let's choose technology that's modern enough that developers love it because that's honestly most of what developers are about, right? They, they love working with modern technology and not something that's really old and feels crafty. So you're choosing modern technology, but you also don't want to be kind of on the bleeding edge of everything where you're going to get cut all the time with really annoying things that you just don't want to have to deal with, right? Because it just slow you down again. And so you're kind of picking and choosing the technologies that it sounds like that developers love, but that are also battle-tested enough to scale and where many of the problems are already solved so that you don't have to solve them for yourself. How does GraphQL fit into that picture? What are you using GraphQL for today at Puma and, and how is that working out? GraphQL was the recommendation to to be able to move faster towards the React front-end, the React Native front-end. And what was attractive about GraphQL was, I guess, we'd also been looking at different ways to handle API management and ultimately decided that this was what was required to solve the problems that we had, which was that front-end iteration and being able to come up with a single interface for the web and the app. And that would allow it to scale out faster. Otherwise, you're going to be delayed a year on every app rollout while you kind of custom plummet to each different country. So what GraphQL allowed us to do was insulate kind of new group of front-end developers that didn't have to know the intricacies of Salesforce in particular. And so then now you could have non-Salesforce certified developers helping. And before that was very difficult because in order to do any changes, you needed a Salesforce developer login. You had to have basic training that you know how this platform works. And when you stop publishing into that platform and start publishing pages and content outside of it, that's no longer an issue. You finally decoupled, you have headless, call it whatever you want, composable, but that was where GraphQL came in. So that was what allowed us to let the front end teams have the flexibility and freedom that they needed while keeping Salesforce right where it was doing what it does best and moving that front end iterative process out of Salesforce. So you still have the templates there if you ever need to fall back on them, but you don't need to use them anymore. And now you can start to use the APIs that Salesforce was developing because we also weren't leveraging all of those because it was you know all inside the monolith. You didn't need to call the APIs. You had the hooks directly in the reference architecture that you could use in the templating to just fake it. So when you start actually pulling these pieces apart, that's when you start finding out that, wow, Salesforce probably did a bunch of optimization on their own for their internal services when it's like a public API, it doesn't work the same way. And that's where we got caught on the bleeding edge of something that's 20 years old, but the bleeding edge part was some of these these newer APIs that weren't battle tested, but we were kind of under the impression that they would handle the load, but needed improvement. And so it sounds like GraphQL kind of became this abstraction layer over, I'm guessing Salesforce, but also Magento and whatever other kind of CMSs the different regions used that were instead of, if I understand this correctly, instead of kind of 
having to understand Salesforce and how to get a product out of Salesforce, you send a GraphQL query that requests a product and the GraphQL layer figures out how to communicate that to Salesforce or Magento or whatever other CMS that data is in. And so the you kind of decouple the client developers to be able to move faster without having to understand all of this backend stuff where you have specialized people working on that as well. Is that kind of the, the setup that That's you're That's a good right way now? to describe it. Right. And the, the CMS that was chosen is Sanity, sanity.io. And that element of having a formal CMS as opposed to using the, the Salesforce content modeling and I wouldn't call it a CMS because it, you know, it just doesn't <laughs> check those boxes for me. But the way you store content in it and deliver it is very um, just dated and and there's very little visual about it. So the GraphQL abstraction includes content management in a way that you can receive content from the CMS. That CMS could be then patched into Salesforce if, if the endpoint existed or we created it, but it was basically creating, in my mind, what's actually required for a modern enterprise to exist online. So you've got brand content, you have these things that, that shouldn't and don't exist in a PIM system or wouldn't be stored in your in your storefront or there isn't a place where you put it. If it's in there, you've faked it somehow. But that content beyond just the core is available now through the GraphQL layer. So then that means if you're a front-end person working on some sort of cool change, you have all the information that you would need already in the query. And then if you don't, you can also rapidly extend the structured data model for content to have that now. And you're not going back to Salesforce and trying to make them schedule either a release next year or a custom development to, to try to make it happen now. It's just, boom, there it is. And now we have extended the data model. That's live. Automatically, the UI is extended for the CMS. Now that's something that can be edited. All this can be done in minutes and not years. And that's what allows you to move fast. So this was where GraphQL was the, I still believe the best choice for being that aggregation between this ever expanding CMS concept and that core of what shopping is. And then dialing in what that core of shopping really means so that you're not abusing the storefront service anymore because the business is asking for something that shouldn't be done. And so instead we say, all right, that's the concept. We want to pull this data and we want it on this frequency. Does it need to be cached? Are you going to use it for anal analytics? Like what needs to be here? And it, it's a, just a different way to handle a lot of the requests. And so once the GraphQL piece comes in, you have to be thinking data in addition to functionality and the way it's presented. So that brings that last third leg of the stool. It's you got the data, you've got the interface, you got the presentation. And it used to be, here's how I want it to look. And developer just goes and makes the dream come true. And now we're able to say, okay, you're going to do that, but we're going to actually open three different issues. One in React, one in React Native, one in GraphQL. And once you do that, the person over in React Native can't just make this change that nobody could ever undo. They're going to have to talk to somebody else about it. And it's going to be very clear the data model is extended here. This reminds me of something that we say internally at Stellate quite a fair bit, which is that the organizations that successfully adopt GraphQL are ones that are solving kind of organizational human challenges through technology. 
instead of yes. again doing technology for technology's sake because it's cool or because they think they you know some benefits right it's really a solution to human problems and it sounds like for you it was you know individual developers on one client making changes that affected everybody that could never be undone because now the mobile apps deployed and people are using that mobile app and so you can never roll that API change back because they rely on that change and so now they have to go talk to somebody else and they have to be like, well, I'm making a change to the graphical layer. Would that work for you too, right? Does that change exactly. also match what you're expecting? And if we can't roll this back, is it okay for this to stay in there permanently? You're absolutely right. This is about solving organizational problems more than anything else. So it's a little bit about technology, almost all about organization. And then let me let me close off maybe with a, with a question that obviously I have to ask. How, how does Stellate fit into that? So Stellate was a recommendation again from the developers because we had these slow origin API responses. And so most of the complaints from the business were about the speed of some some specific pages, which then really it was very specific requests, these queries that took too long. And after you dig in, you find out that there isn't anything we can do at the origin, at least not for months. So then how can we figure out how to cache this? And GraphQL has some black magic in it. Can't quite understand how all of it works, but it does create very complicated queries. And I think in, in some of those cases, we were getting kind of inadvertently burned by some of these queries that were involving multiple API requests or different SQL queries to be run that we didn't anticipate. And when you don't own the database, you can't even necessarily know what, what was run, like what was executed against the database. So you don't know. So it takes a quite a bit of time and coordination to get into that, that level of detail. So with Stellate, we could skip that and just cache the response. <laughs> so now you can say, these are the issues that we want to solve. Let's speed this up. And so then working with your team, you're able to figure out, you know, how can we do it? What should we cache? And then able to bring down some of our costs at these different services that are charging per API request and able to speed up the user's experience or perceived experience when they're actually browsing the site. So I would say GraphQL on its own certainly doesn't solve all the problems, but it does introduce some some new caching complexity that you don't have otherwise. And so it, you were able to do with Stellate was resolve those caching issues so that you essentially have either a permanent fix or time to fix the underlying problem because you've got the cover of Stellate. And then basically, because you're always finding the next problem. So you say, all right, here's one that we can cache. All right, how long can we cache it? Is it worth it? All right, here's a runaway cost area. Okay, let's not ask for that on every page load or as often as we were. Let's cache that. So it becomes a lot about caching. And this is where I, I can see the, um, the API management capabilities of an organization being a limiting factor as they go to take undertake these types of projects. And I think that's where we end up in the nuclear waste category of tech projects, but that you, um, there's so many things to uncover when you're stepping into this. So we're not on the bleeding edge, but certainly still leading for enterprises. This is not stuff that everyone's done before, even the people who have been in it for a long time. E-commerce as like, so retail e-commerce has been pushing a lot further than many other industries. And so I think there's a stronger network of people working on this in retail. You'll see more of the service providers focused on retail as their business industry target because there's just so much happening at these e-com transactions that need to push this limit. They need to find ways to make this faster, smarter, cheaper, and they just have so many people 
buying online. So what I'm, I'm seeing now is that you've got this early adoption in e-com of all these services, and now you're solving problems for Puma. They're going to be beneficial for someone in any other B2B environment or kind of direct to consumer, but maybe not such high volume, but you're, you'll be able to solve these problems for everybody. But I do see the e-com is the one bloodying their nose on a lot of these AI search and AI based machine learning based recommendations. We've been doing this for years. A lot of people right now are getting into AI. People forget that we've been doing it for a long time, <laughs> but you just see the e-com's done a lot of this already. So it's nice that you can just reapply the same concept all over the place. And the caching, two hardest things in computer science, naming things and cache and validation. So that that's where I do see most of the opportunity to avoid painful runaway costs, service usage as with this GraphQL caching, and also to just speed up what normally you didn't think you needed to cache or you, you just didn't before. Once you start asking for it as an API, as opposed to an entire page bolted together and shipped you have to start caching differently and not everybody knows how to do it or even what's worth caching and you don't find out until you really start digging. But if you're doing this type of work, you're not likely to have enough time to dig into all of these different pages and all these API requests. And that's where Sunny Stelly allows you to just put this blanket over it and and that, that might be good enough. And that's where I also want to stop you like, good enough is good enough. Time to stop. Let's move on to the next problem. But in other cases, it's give us time, we'll come back to it or actually this is the permanent fix. And uh, there's no way to really know which one it's going to be when you put it in place. But it's nice to have something that you can just rapidly insert as cache management. And then going back, do you do it in Cloudflare? Do you do it in Fastly? Do you do it in AWS? Do you do it in Stellate? Where do you put it? I want the developers to be in control of it. So a person who's working as closely as possible to where the API requests are happening should be the ones in control of the cache management. I don't necessarily want to give those people all access to our DNS. So I view Stellate as in the right zone of the developer. They're the ones trying to optimize this. They should be the ones allowed to manage the cache. I think that's. I think what you're highlighting there as well is one of the the benefits of choosing technologies that developers like and yet that have matured at least to a certain extent is that you get the standardization of tools, right? And the reason we can do it, so like what we do, is because GraphQL is a standard, right? So we can build this GraphQL caching, and it doesn't really matter to us what kind of a GraphQL API you have, right? That could be coming from Sanity, that could be your custom backend, that could be Shopify, that could be WordPress. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter, right? It's all GraphQL, and so we can understand it, and we can do the caching for you. And I think that's one of the big benefits of what you were also talking about, tying the thread back to what you mentioned initially with the standardization of the web stack as our industry is going to evolve over the coming years and decades, probably, I'm sure there will be more and more standardization as you're also working towards with the Mac Alliance. And that standardization is going to allow a lot of innovation to happen because once everybody's doing something a certain way, suddenly you can build a solution once and everybody can use it, right? Rather than everybody having to build the solution again for their specific use case and their specific setup, right? They're doing the same work over and over and over again, which is kind of currently what happens for the most part in, in our whole engineering industry, I would say. The rework again and again and again, it's exhausting and counterproductive, but it feels good to see things happening. And so there's an element of patience that a lot of managers don't have. And if you can't be patient, it's really tough to do this type of work. It takes a long time. And And I constantly see that people just don't, they can't wait that long. Like I need to see a result quickly. Fantastic. 
put GraphQL in. Like you'll be able to iterate quickly. You're going to add some other complexities, but you could move faster. And so like that's where say velocity at the end of the day, that that's what you're concerned about. Like and the whole the whole process, how long to ship a change. And if you can do that fast, fantastic. And then if you start to see that for this area we're slow, then you got a problem. And I saw for GraphQL, that was where we got the fastest. And fantastic to see full automated deployments like Oh, it's glorious. <laughs> but that was, it's invisible to the business though. This one, like only the tech people can really go have beautiful <laughs> dreams about automatic deployment from a pull request in GraphQL, but that's what it takes. And so then if you can measure application by application or repo by repo, however you want to do it, you can see where you're slowing down, but also to say, holy crap, this is fast. We should be very proud of ourselves and we should stop now. This is fast enough. We don't need to go any faster. And if we do, we're going to break things. So it's cool to see that of the concept, basically everything we had hope to achieve with the exception of the milliseconds making us millions really worked out. And that like I really I couldn't be prouder of, of what was done. It's fantastic.